I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is the Office Hours podcast, where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Megan, we made it to episode two. Tyler, I feel like this is already a huge success for us. <laughs> I feel that as well. It's gotten farther than we ever believed it would go. So. I never imagined us recording one episode, let alone two. <laughs> I know. For real. So this, this is arousing, arousing success that we have made it this far. And today we're doing episode two, Diversity Day. And I gotta say, I'm, I've been really looking forward to this, um, really looking forward to getting your getting your perspective on this episode once again. You, you have told me about this episode so many times. And you have Damn. said, in fact, that we may need to do two episodes <laughs> devoted to it. And I'm kind of curious, like, will we be able to get through it all? Because <laughs> as I was watching, I watched it twice and I was like, oh my God, like, I don't even know where to start with this. Like, there's so yes. much. So now I get what you were you were talking about. Um, but yeah, it's in the last, uh, any thoughts on the previous episode, things you want to clear up, any, uh, I suppose we didn't get any, you know, fan mail or anything yet, but uh, any, any, um, any announcements? The one that I thought of was, I mentioned that my Chihuahua's name is Toby. And I really feel that I must clarify that he is not named for Toby from the television show, uh, The Office. Uh, my students often think that. They're like, oh, you know, uh, oh, Toby must be from that show. And I'm like, no, no, it's much nerdier. It's much worse. Uh, it's Sherlock Holmes's dog's name. And uh, yeah, that's the origin of my Toby. I knew it wasn't this Toby, although... I will say you and I have had some debates about how to feel about Office Toby, Toby yes. in the past. So I am excited for, for when we get to those, but definitely a good good uh, caveat about the dog. I don't remember our Toby debates, but I am very excited to talk about it because I wrote in my notes, I wrote an important question about Toby today that we're gonna circle back to when we get to him. I will remind you. Um, we should tell them our social media stuff if they yes. want, if people want to follow us uh, on social media. Yes, exciting news. We have an Instagram and we have a Twitter account. Our Instagram is office underscore, we got to get the underscores in here. So office underscore hours underscore podcast. So that's Instagram. And then Twitter Twitter, you didn't have as much space. So we kept the underscores, but you got to condense it a little down. So it's office underscore HRS underscore pod. So follow us, give us comments, tell us what you, what you think, what, uh, what you thought about our ideas, what we missed, what you thought mm -hmm. we got completely wrong, what you want to see more of. And uh, I think that's that. I like that. I like that idea because then we can, uh, you know, as we post these, get um, feedback and we can respond and hopefully it'll be like, you know, friendly, um, <laughs> friendly responses. <laughs> but also, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to do any research on the show. So I feel as if uh, you, the listener, should tell us what it is that we need to know <laughs> to supplement our analysis. Uh, you, can be our, you can be our grad students. <laughs> <laughs> or something, our research assistants. That's what you are. You're our research assistants. Uh, yeah. So if there's some detail we missed or whatever, yeah, let us know, and um, and we may 
or may not address it. We'll see, you know. Depends how much research it requires. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, should we dive into it then, episode two? Let's do it. Tyler, will you give us our summary of the day? Yes, okay, so this is from the Peacock uh, website. Uh, their succinct summary is, Michael flouts a mandated diversity training and makes the office suffer through his stereotype riddled alternative. So there it is, uh, diversity day. Overall impressions for you, Megan, returning to this episode after a long time. Definitely that I, I feel like it's, I feel like it's hard to do this in one episode. I almost think we could have a side branch podcast that is exclusively about this episode. <laughs> Um, but I think that this one is fascinating and I think it is, I like how it's kind of risky and I feel like the office here is really taking on some serious things to talk about and we saw how some of the issues with race were starting to come up last time and they really kind of explode here. Yeah, I was... As I was watching this, I kept thinking about an argument I will sometimes have with my students where they're like, we need more awareness training, we need more diversity workshops, we need more basically like institutionalized um, diversity, equity and inclusion, you know, uh, 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 mandated trainings, and that will end racism or prejudice in, um, you know, they're talking about in the university or even in the world. And I'm always like, a little skeptical of mm -hmm. <laughs> how much a workshop can do. Um, and in fact, am sometimes uh, concerned that mandated workshops um, produce the opposite <laughs> results of what one wants them to achieve. And I felt like this episode really understands like the, the complexities between, you know, uh, like a, a workspace where there are actually really clear lines of power and authority and then the ways and you know, what happens when your boss is racist, basically, you know, and what happens when corporate is just trying to get you to get back to work. Um, anyway, I don't know. I, I actually thought it was like a brilliant satire and it seemed really important to me uh, or to when I when I found this out that like uh, Mindy Kaling um, and uh, who's the guy that plays um, uh, oh, Larry Wilmore, you were saying, you know, that they're like involved in writing, conceiving, you know, I was like, oh, okay, you know, then they're yeah. really, there's some really, as you say, like pointed commentary here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm also interested to hear what was your experience of the awkwardness of this episode? Like you as someone who totally squirms at the uncomfortable, awkward, cringe factor of the office how did this one make you feel this was even worse than the last episode for me like this was really different and the first time I watched it I just could not get through um the second half of the episode when when Michael takes over and he mm -hmm. basically you know runs his own version of the seminar or whatever I was <laughs> cringing and he's trying to provoke them to say racist stuff and that's yeah just all of that you know all of his accents and all of his his, um, you know, um, narcissism. Oh, it was so painful, you know, and, and uh, 
yeah, anyway, we'll get into specific lines and stuff, but yeah, this one was really hard, but I, the very first time I, I watched it, I was just like, I can't, like, this guy is just so racist or whatever. I can't deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the second time I was like, oh, okay, this is a satire of this kind of boss <laughs> and, and these, and, and a certain kind of white person, a certain mm-hmm. kind of corporate diversity, like this is, you know, nuance so I was able to see but my god the first time I could not get to it I don't know what about what about were you just cracking up the whole time what was your what was your experience between the first time you've seen this and where you're at with it now oh I wish I could even remember and I really can't I really can't access my original experience of this episode but I will say it's one to your point about the nuance in it it is one where it keeps, every time I go back to it, I think it keeps giving me things to think about, which I think does attest to the writing and to the satire you're talking about. And um, to the ways, I think that it's, it's really lasting in terms of some of the, the kinds of questions that it's raising. I feel like it, it continues to resonate in a lot of ways with stuff that's happening today. You're somebody who writes a lot about race um, you teach about race uh, a lot. Um, so I was kind of wondering if like any students have ever brought this episode up to you or if you've had experiences in the classroom that are like in any way reminiscent of <laughs> the early part, you know, when when uh, um, Mr. Brown is trying to teach and Michael Scott wants to be the teacher. <laughs> Mr. Brown. Um... If that is his real name, Michael keeps that saying. Is, if that is his real name, he he has to face a lot. You know, I feel like I should do a class discussion actually that is about this episode because so many students are so aware of it and it actually can kind of give us a good, a good way in. Um, I think I'll say following following a lot of discussions on my campus about the way that professors of color are treated in the classroom and the particular resistance that they get. Um, And I'll say, I think that like for for me teaching about race when I'm white, there is pushback that I get, but I will also say that I think there are, um, oh, I don't wanna put it, I I guess that I, I don't think I get the same, I don't get the same level of resistance and the same level of pushback that um, some of my colleagues of color definitely get. And that I think is a really common experience. And so I've also been thinking about it through that lens as mm-hmm. I watched again and saw the way that Mr. Brown has to try to manage Michael and his resistance, but also the way that he really wants to get involved in the conversation, but not in a way that is helpful and not a way that is beneficial and about the way that Mr. Brown then manages his behavior and his emotions. Yes. About it. So that's, that's kind of. It's so interesting that you bring that up because, well, I mean, I really liked the writing, um, for some of his dialogue, and I didn't write down this particular line, but he says something, you know, Michael's interrupting him and trying to present himself as like the leader or the co-teacher or whatever. Um, And Mr. Brown says something along the lines of like, would you permit me to 
lead the seminar, you know, or, or you know, he, he, yeah. he like asks his permission. Yeah. Um, but also in a way where it's like, not that he can't say no, but that like saying no would be very, I don't know. Like, cause Michael isn't one who reads or cares about most social cues around rudeness, but there was just something really interesting about the way that it was phrased that Michael's like, okay, you know, but, and I'll be a guy listening, you know, and uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> so there was this interesting tense negotiation of, of power. And, um, and uh, but the other thing I was going to say is what's so interesting. I mean, I felt like we don't get to see, you know, a ton of Mr. Brown's version of the seminar, but I mean, we're definitely going to talk about it, but mm -hmm. Michael's whole idea of what it means to talk about race and what he, he calls it racial awareness is, um, <laughs> is to get emotional. And like the idea is like, if we can all get, you know, say the most offensive things and get really upset, then X, you know, like then we will have gotten somewhere real. And yeah, I don't know. I was, I just kept, and he calls it, he wants an Oprah moment. And I kept thinking like, oh, it, this is an idea about like racial dialogue as purely emotional and not in any way like political or practical or, <laughs> or, um, or anything else, you know? Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously that places him at the center of it and his emotion, I, but I just kept thinking about how interesting that was that like, that he wants he, he wants to elicit emotion and then we'll know we've gotten to this real space. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I don't have a point other than to say, I keep, I've been thinking a lot about how in my classes and I feel like in our culture, we always sort of measure emotion as the register of, of progress or something. And in this episode, that's not it at all. Mm -hmm. It's interesting then how it um, sets up these two kind of alternative versions of how do we do the diversity training or the diversity talk. And there's the one, there's like the kind of um, corporate Mr. Brown version and there's the emotional Oprah moment, Michael version which feels sort of like an attempt at some kind of weird exposure therapy or something <laughs> where he's like, let's go all in on all of it yeah. and get really stereotypical so that we can get really emotional and deal with it from there. And so um, it, doesn't, it doesn't actually feel like with either one, we've got something that's working all that well. Yes, yes. Yeah, because Mr. Brown's whole thing is, uh, I'm only here because you, because of you, you know. So yeah. actually, this whole training isn't real in a way. Like it is, I guess, supposedly for Michael, but mm -hmm. ultimately, it's like just sign this pledge so that you can say that you did it, you know. So Michael's like resistance to signing it is, of course, about his own unwillingness to be mm -hmm. wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and to admit his wrongness and whatever, but it also kind of operates as a, as a satire of the corporate model where it's just like, okay, you know, you've now done, we've checked the box basically. So yeah. we actually yeah. have to resolve any real problems mm -hmm. of in racial inequality or race racism in the workspace. Yeah. It's like a real cover your ass kind of yes. approach. It yeah. feels and, and one of the things that crossed my mind watching it is that Mr. Brown comes in, he's there sort of early in the day, he's there before lunch and they still have hours left 
of time too. So it's interesting what a what a small space that this event even yes it needs to take up. Can we start from the beginning? Yeah. So when Michael is, he goes in the sort of beginning shot, Mr. Brown is in the conference room and he's arranging the chairs and Michael opens the door to check in and see if he needs any help. And so just immediately he's trying to get involved and try to put himself in the middle of things. And then it goes to the interview with him in his office. I feel like there's some other technical name that TV people use for these interviews you know what I'm talking about yeah I don't know what it is though you know what I mean right yes so when he's talking to the camera in his office um he says I wrote down this entire quote he says today is diversity day and someone's going to come in and talk to us about diversity it's something that I've been pushing that I've been wanting to push (laughs) that it's like so I love the way that he he sets himself up say this is like this is a thing right I'm a really pro-diversity guy this is something I've been pushing for but then he has to self-edit and kind of say well that I've been wanting to push and corporate mandated it and I never actually talked to corporate about it um they kind of beat me to the punch the bastards but I was going to and I think it's very important that we have this what did you think about the way Michael sort of narrates his relation to this entire diversity day I have two thoughts. I it's been a really long time since I when I was growing up, my family or well, my mom always used to watch um, Frasier. I don't know if you ever watched Frasier, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so I don't remember it super well. But I just remember little lines or whatever that that my family would like repeat or whatever. And I th- I'm pretty sure this was Frasier <laughs> anyway. But um, but something about like there's this thing about like I think somebody was gonna get somebody a gift and they're like I thought I. I thought about, I didn't do it, but I thought about doing it. That should count for something, Mm -hmm. Um, something along, I'm butchering it, but, um, and I think it's like a refrain throughout the episode. There's a better way of saying it. So the first time I was listening to this, I kept thinking about that as a, (laughs) as a structure of feeling that I myself often have where I'm like, yeah, I didn't do this, but I thought about doing it. And I feel like I should get credit because I thought of it, even if I didn't do anything about it. Um, And uh, so that was the first thing I thought where I was like, you know, this kind of trying to rationalize your um, uh, passivity or your lack of doing anything. But the second time I watched it and this something that I was not attuned to in the first episode that you are helping me to see is like, you cannot trust these characters like they seem to be disclosing things to you and they seem to be telling you the truth, you know, because these are our honest one-on-ones or whatever, but actually he's lying here, right? Like the reason that they mandated it is because of him. Yeah. And so really, you know, it, it makes us think, oh, this is a story about kind of top-down corporate whatever, but actually, it's like corporate trying to intervene on this guy. Anyway, so it, it just really got me to realize, oh, these there's like actually some more narrative complexity to the office than I thought there was. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Yeah, I think that that, um, I think that I, I really like that idea about the narrative complexity of it. And the way that it doesn't get revealed until later to the reason that this thing yeah. is actually mandated and the fact that it is actually for him. Yeah. And so the whole way that that kind of gets 
framed, but then back to the, the documentary format that he also through these interviews gets to tell his own story. Right. I also love, I guess this is another kind of air, uh, narrative element, but like the the shows within the show, I guess the way that he makes, you know, he makes the tape and kind of <laughs> spontaneously begins his own diversity organization. Which yeah. Getting ahead, maybe we'll, we'll get there. Um, was Mr. Brown's diversity today and then yeah. Michael's was diversity yeah, tomorrow. Diversity tomorrow. Because, because today is almost over. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So should we start? Should we start with diversity today and then get to diversity tomorrow? <laughs> well, let me just say ooh, the one other thing you were at the beginning of the episode, right before he gives that speech, is the Homer Simpson doll. And yeah. it's on the right side of the screen and he's on the left in the background and the doll's in the foreground. And I was like, what's the deal with this? So is this like a thing that, is it an important, what's the deal with the Homer Simpson? I don't think that they ever address it. I think it's just sort of there. I took it as a kind of like, um, are we meant to see Michael Scott as like the new Homer Simpson, like a kind of doofy, but well-intentioned you know, yeah. mediocre white man. Yeah. yeah, the Homer is very relatable for him. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, okay, yeah, so let's get to uh, diversity today, yeah. Let's do it. Okay, so they go into, we've got a conference room meeting. Michael is calling everyone in. The other kind of side, the other sort of parallel plot here is that Jim is trying to close a big sale with Mr. Deckert, and it's like the biggest, uh, his biggest commission of the year. So yes. he's on the phone, other people are doing their office things and Michael's trying to get him off the phone and be like, come on guys, I really wish you would prioritize diversity. Let's get into the conference room. So they get in there, Mr. Brown is collecting cards and kind of beginning to set things up. And Michael is standing right by his shoulder and just immediately jumping in. <laughs> so what did you think about this interaction between Michael and Mr. Brown and Michael's role in diversity today, I guess. Well, I'm going to fly. I really am going to, I have a lot to say about the gym plot and the relationship between the gym plot and the diversity plot. So Ooh, good. I'm just flagging that. We're going to come back to that. But um, what do I have to say about the scene? Uh, it made my fucking skin crawl. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what is I don't remember, oh, 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 this kind of opens up the, well, Michael Scott's like whole thing is like, this is a color-free zone. And then immediately, uh, I think Mr. Brown is the one who's like, well, you know, uh, we don't have to think of it that way. We could celebrate diversity. Yeah. Um, and I just felt like there was this whole negotiation um, going on there. But actually, like, it was interesting to me too, because it was like, oh, those are two, in different and relevant ideas about race um, that, you know, I mean, like it's, we're pre-Obama and when Obama gets elected, there's this whole resurgence, right? Of like kind of a, oh, we're a colorblind society or whatever, which, mm -hmm. you know, obviously was bullshit, but um, was this kind of popular narrative. And so I kept, I was like, oh, you know, that narrative is, is the one that Michael Scott is trying. He thinks, I think he thinks he's saying the right progressive thing. Yes. Yes. Um, 
obviously less so when he says, uh, what race are you attracted to sexually? Unless, <laughs> unless he means that, because he says, doesn't he say at least two? Or no, he just says, I can't remember what does he say. Name, mm, I've, I've written it down somewhere, but he does say something, yeah, it's like, name the race that you were attracted to. Uh, yeah, oh, he, he says, why, says do, I have two. why don't we go around and everybody say a race that you are attracted to sexually? And then I, to white and Indian while he's sitting right next to Kelly. Does, but does Michael think that that's like, oh, if I'm sexually attracted to this race, then I can't yes. be racist, I guess? I think he probably does. Oh, like, boy. Like the, oh, I've had a black girlfriend. Yes. For him, like that kind of, that kind of move. And the thing you said about him thinking that he is, that he is saying the right thing and wanting to say the right thing. So he starts out, yeah, with his color, his, uh, his color free zone comment, and which he immediately undercuts by saying or just reveals the bullshitness of it when he says, Stanley, I don't see you as another race. Right. <laughs> and then the way so, so you, like you said, Mr. Mr. Brown comes in and says, well, we don't have to pretend that we're colorblind, we can celebrate our diversity. And the way that Michael then keeps jumping on to whatever Mr. Brown says and trying to finish his sentences and not always successfully, but he's trying to finish them. And then he's echoing what Mr. Brown says where he's like, he's trying to trying to catch up yeah. and be able to be the one who's leading. Um, but like really, yeah, really wanting to be kind of in on the discourse or something. Right, which I mean, like that is, I don't know, uh, uh, white liberalism <laughs> personified, right? Like, yeah. how can we continue to center ourselves as white people in every conversation about uh, racism or, or racial inequality yeah. or whatever? And I mean, Michael does that, like he does that at every step in this episode. And I I mean, we'll get to the end, but I, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Again, like I'm kind of brought back often to like, what is the audience's relationship to this, you know? And I don't mean to jump to the end, but at the end, Michael's, it's really clear that his feelings are just hurt. And it's mm -hmm. back to his feeling, you know, somebody came in and they, and they didn't do it our way and they took this away from us or whatever. And I'm like, everybody's sitting there listening to him, but they can't leave because this is their boss. And so like, are, when people watch this scene, do they see it as the threatening moment that it is that like you have to sit there and internalize this white man's feelings of hurt mm -hmm. um or are they like oh yeah you know he's he's just a wounded little puppy um yeah. i don't know i just i just uh ugh, like his mm. oh and and then he's like oh i'm two fifteenths native american you know it's like i couldn't not think of you know um how many white people I've met who are like, oh yeah, no, 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 I have a Native American ancestor. Oh, you know, yeah. I can't specify it and I have no formal or political recognition by any, you know, indigenous peoples or tribes. Um, and I was just like, oh, anyway. Yes. Also, sorry, so unprofessionally, my email just dinged. I'm gonna shut that down quick. Ooh, you're doing work. <laughs> yeah, just I would have been really proud if you had the solitaire noise uh, because when Pam makes that noise in this episode, I was like, oh, I love that noise. 
that is a great noise. That is a great noise. But to the 215th thing, I think there are so many things I think that this show is doing in critiquing white people moves. And you're mm-hmm. right, that's totally a common one. What do you think is going on with that for Michael? And then what does it say about that move that white people make more generally? Oh man, you say more, you say, I, I don't even, I haven't even thought about it yet. I think, I feel like it's a way, well, a couple things. So I guess Michael starts, Michael starts off saying how he's um, British and Scottish and German and something else, like one other Western European <laughs> nationality and background. And he, um, he describes that as kind of a virtual United Nations. So I think there's a way also of like, of getting more specific than, than whiteness and being like, well, this is my particular ethnic background that I think is one, one thing of the being like, well, I'm not, I'm not just white. And then the, I'm also part Native American Indian, he says. And I think that, I think it's about getting out of whiteness in some way and getting out of the discomfort of dealing with your position in relation to America and in relation to racism and in relation to inequality, because all of that stuff is uncomfortable to have to deal with. And so I think it's like a little escape hatch where it relieves or like a, like a safety valve sort of, you know, where it relieves a little bit of that pressure. So I feel like there's really kind of a, a psychological thing going on there. That's a way of, you know, trying to get out of the uncomfortable reckoning with it, which, which like you said, is <laughs> typically not based in real knowledge or real reality or anything like that. And I love the way that Oscar exposes that by continuing to press on Michael by saying, yeah. What what percentage what percentage Native American and Michael says two fifteenths and Oscar says that percentage doesn't even make any sense and he kind of keeps coming back with questions about it and is that where Michael comes back at him with oh this might be at another place this might be at the place when he asks about a term other than. Mexican. Mexican. Oh, I know what he does. He does hear the thing where he says, oh, it's, you know, to get out of it, he says, it's, I, it's hard to talk about the suffering. Mm. So I feel like he also shows this set of um, ways of defending oneself, the kind of defense, like sort of defense strategies. Yeah. And the convert, he, he so wants the conversation to actually get real, but then in the moments when it does get uncomfortable for him, he's, he's got his his defense moves yeah it's like white fragility personified right like and i love that scene where he's you know oscar tells this story about his parents and you know uh they grew up in mexico he's born in the united states and um and uh michael asks like what's a what's a term other than mexican you'd like to be called or something you know a less less offensive offensive. term 
And he's like, there's nothing offensive about it. You know, he's like, well, certain connotations, like, what are those, Michael? You know, say, say more. And it's like, he really, I guess he realizes that the connotations are his own racist associations um, that he's projecting onto Mexicans and, yeah. the, you know, um, and the word, but, uh, but yeah, he can't then like, you know, actually confront that. I mean, I, I do feel like that's something that is evident in his whole, um, and, you know, obviously if I totally agree with your reading that he's this kind of representation of white, um, whiteness <laughs> and, and the strategies of like white deflection and white colonization too, because like the whole reason he's, um, in trouble or one of them is because he's done the, um, Chris Rock routine and he doesn't seem to be, and I, and I, I, I really feel like I can remember, uh, you know, moments in my life where I've seen people make similar claims to him where he's like, oh, Chris Rock can say it, um, but I can't, you know, because is that because he's black and I'm white? And the answer is like, yes, that is the reason, but also because like whiteness and blackness in these uh, moments are not just about like identity, they're about relationships to power. And, you know, like, so there is no, he doesn't have any understanding that like, or he doesn't, he doesn't, he isn't willing to learn about how, you know, um, Chris Rock articulating this as, you know, um, a black person within a country that has minoritized and oppressed and exploited black people, you know, is really different um, yeah. than being a part of, you know, um, uh, you know, the dominant in the United States. Anyway, so, uh, you know, but equally then he also has a really bad understanding of the relationship between race and ethnicity. I was kind of curious what you made about that, like with his, what he puts on the card. Cause I was like, whatever he puts on the cards is a representation of what Michael thinks yes. race is. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, what did you make of it? I think card? I've got three things cut me off at some point. How are we ever gonna do this in an hour? We can't. Anyway. I think we, we, we might we might need to go to the two episode option. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but okay, couple of things. First, yeah, your your point about Michael thinking, why can't I say this? And when he he asks in his interview, is it because Chris is black and I'm white? He's looking at the camera in this way where you can tell he's really he's really trying to be provocative and trying yeah. to get the audience to think about it. But then. He has this little movement of his face and his eyes where it's suddenly, it feels like something clicks for him. And maybe it's in the repeating it for an audience or in that kind of an imagined audience when he, he seems to start actually asking that himself. And there's just this expression in his eyes where it looks like there's a little bit of this realization like, oh, wait, ooh, mm. that, maybe that is actually, maybe that is actually legitimate. Two, I'm thinking about the things that you um, mentioned in our last episode about how much Michael loves quoting things and how much of his identity is sort of built around these things that he's heard and quoted and the way that Chris Rock then is a part of that and the way that this routine is such an insider kind of humor, like it's such an in-group kind of humor because it's about he says the two kinds of black people. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I don't know, I don't know if you've, if you've listened to this routine, but it, um, it feels, it, it feels very like in an in-group black joke mm-hmm. that Michael seems to really want to be a part of kind mm-hmm. of like the way that he frames the office group as if it's a black family and he's yes. the matriarch. He also seems to really want to be in on this joke that he can't be in on. The thing I'm going on way too long, so we gotta just we gotta stop me at some point. But your point then too about it being the issue of it being a negotiation of power and how we see that happening within the session itself and Michael's complete confidence in himself as someone who wants to talk about race and who wants to talk about diversity, who clearly knows nothing about it but has complete faith in himself to handle it. And that Mr. Brown is, uh, you know, kind of under, under, underwhelming in all of these ways and not succeeding. And that the kind of power struggle between them where Michael keeps wanting to take that back and be the person that's in charge of it. And then we can get to the card things, but sorry, that's so much stuff. No, <laughs> I don't know. Episode gets me going. Wait, keep going. What would what would you say about the cards element? Because that's Michael's version, right? It's his turn. Yeah, yeah, that is. You're right. So that is his turn. That is his version. Um, I think the cards, and so the cards include um, just like a total mix of things. Let's see. I've got a list of the cards. I have a problem that I took too many notes on this <laughs> and now I can't actually find all of them. Well, I remember we had a, what, um, Italian or Italy? Yes. I, I, don't know. I think it's yeah, Italian. 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 So I think Kevin, right. Kevin is Italian. Jewish. Jewish. Angela's Jamaican. Yes. Meredith is Brazil. Brazil. Yes. So it's like, there's this combination of, um, like nationalities, there are things that are just a country. Um, it, it's this, it, it is really interesting. And I think it shows how much confusion there even is, like even when we wanna talk about race, how much confusion there is about even what is the, what is the thing that we're talking about. And it goes, I think, to your point about the issue of power too, that it ends up this is the case, I think, also with the sort of let's celebrate diversity model that Mr. Brown has, is that it doesn't actually really think about the relationships of power. Yeah. Oh, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just thought, I mean, I, that kind of comes up when Dwight asks about, like, can we not talk about gay people? Yes. Um, and it's like, uh, what does he say? Um, it's just it's not basically- orientation. Yeah, it's not a race, it's an orientation. And there are a lot of other races are intolerant of gays, so paradox. Yeah. <laughs> and Brown says, well, we only have an hour. And I was like, well, as a, as, a, as far as I know right now, we have no, we have no out gay characters on the show. Um, but that made me wonder about whether we will have any. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I kept, when he says the phrasing, basically like there are a lot of other races intolerant of gays, I was like, does Dwight mean 
is he talking about like compared to his own race? Yeah. Or is he saying that, or is he saying like other races are intolerant of gays and so that justifies my being in or like my not wanting to talk about it. In any case, it was like, this is the limit of a certain celebrate diversity model, right? Which would actually require <laughs> you to first recognize that there are um, people of color who are gay. <laughs> <laughs> and so you could be both gay and, you know, not white. Because um, I kept thinking that, is he imagining, as we often do, kind of like gayness as in in, in white terms. Anyway, yeah. um, and so that just like gets avoided altogether. And I, th I thought that was really interesting. It kind of comes back a bit when um, Pam is forced to invoke a stereotype. And I think Dwight is... Uh, Asian and then which again like is you know like anyway um this huge generalizing category but yeah. and then he thinks that he's a woman <laughs> and so it <laughs> so <laughs> when she says that the stereotype because Michael's there like pushing her like come yes. on you gotta get you gotta get stereotypical we gotta really talk about this and so she says something like you know if I had to go according to stereotypes which are not true and which I do not believe in, you maybe wouldn't be a very good driver. Yes, yes, yes. And then Dwight, am I a woman? <laughs> <laughs> so it like then opens up this, this like, on the one hand, it's like, it's funny because it's two stereotypes that are totally unrelated actually mm -hmm. to the, the category. Um, like, like, and then also f reminds us of like their failure to think intersectionally, right? About the tensions between race and gender or the ways in yeah. which they overlay. Anyway, um, what was my point other than just, I felt like, I felt like there, that, that, um, that was kind of exposed in both the corporate version and in Michael's version. And both of them are actually also about feeling. I mean, Mr. Brown's hero model <laughs> is, um, where is it? Uh, honesty, empathy, respect, and open-mindedness. Is that right? That's right. Um, which also cracked me up. I, I really, one of my big questions for you today was like, what is Dwight's deal? Like, <laughs> what, what is this guy's problem? Um, but anyway, he, I, I think he might be my favorite character. And uh, anyway, he's like, no, a hero is like a superhero. But I was like, oh, right. You know, honesty, empathy, respect, and open-mindedness, they all sound like good things. How could you not you know, how can you be against that? But it's this kind of emphasis towards good feeling that yeah. then never lets you get at like all of the bad feeling that Michael or other, you know, other microaggressions in the office produce. And yeah. if Stanley was to ever say like, hey, fuck you, that is racist. Suddenly he would not be a hero, right? Because he's not being yeah, empathetic right. and respectful or like he would be the problem. And mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just kept, I kept thinking about that, like the flaws of that model as well as, um, yeah. and I mean, we don't know anything about Mr. Brown, right? Like maybe he got forced to be the diversity coordinator or whatever for corporate, you know, maybe this is the best that he can get across, you know, like we don't know anything about his, um, mm -hmm. I did anyway. Um, yeah. yeah. Hero. <laughs> One of the things I noticed too is that when he does get out he's got out his hero chart Michael has this note Michael's still sitting face like next to Mr. Brown he is sitting now but he's facing 
the crowd, but he's got a notepad and he starts like really attentively taking notes actually during this part, during the hero thing. But as you say that, it also makes me think about the way that you're right. All of those things are about kindness and sort of respectful discussion and the good kinds of feelings and the, the celebrate diversity feelings, but none of that then really deals with the fallout from the Chris Rock routine. Right. Or none of it really deals with racism <laughs> or with power or it, it, it does really feel like, um, yeah, the kind of, I think, I think like you said, the sort of corporate training, a sort of sanitized way of sort of sanitized officially approved way of talking about race that um, certainly a contrast to Michael's approach, but not necessarily one that seems all that promising itself. So this is my big question for you about the structure of the episode, which mm -hmm. is, and like, forgive me, because this is going to be like an irritating, um, I'm not fully committed to this reading, but, um, but let me just put it out there. And, mm -hmm. but I, um, okay. <clears throat> so the, the episode has two plots. One plot is Jim uh, trying to make a sale that will be 25% of his commission for the entire year. So we understand these via Jim that this is like an important profit making moment. Mm -hmm. And the other plot is the, the diversity training, right? That is taking up Jim's time mm -hmm. away from making the sale. And um, so I kept asking myself, like, what is the relationship between these two things? And corporate only cares about diversity to the extent that it is getting in the way of profit, right? <laughs> because the company, the office, its entire rationale, its entire purpose is to make money, you know? And so that's why corporate diversity training or whatever is never going to end systemic racism because systemic racism is related to capitalist extraction of wealth and exploitation. I, you know, so, um, so I was like, is the show, or, you know, by virtue of putting these two plots together, is it suggesting that, um, basically like the diversity training is a distraction from what the company is really about mm -hmm. and what these workers, because the workers are like, just let us go back to work, you know? So is it kind of demystifying diversity training? Um, or is it saying uh, something like, you know, that, that uh, the whole shenanigans or whatever are getting in the way of the office running more efficiently, like basically, you know, um, uh, you know, that if, if you didn't have a racist boss, you could be better at making money or something, you know? Yeah. Now, the problem for me with all of this is that is two, two things. Number one, uh, Jim, at the end of the episode, it's a, it goes back to feeling and he's like, actually, it was a good day. That's like the last line of the episode. It was not a bad day, not mm -hmm. a bad day. And that's because Pam rests his head on him and he gets like, you know, even though he lost out on the sale, he's close to her. So like romantic heterosexual love takes the place of both profit 
which we're okay with normally, and all of the bad feelings. Like, what about Mindy Kaling's character? What's her, Ke- Kelly, is that her name? Yeah. Kelly. What about Kelly's like rage and humiliation and whatever? You know, like it was a bad day for her. Um, mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, I was like, well, the company still made the money. It's just that Jim didn't make the money, right? Because Dwight made the sale and he got the profit. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it, I, yeah, I just kept thinking like, how does the love plot distract us <laughs> or provide us some compensation for all yeah. of these contradictions? And I hate that reading because I'm, you know, I'm, I actually didn't feel like the episode ties it up into some happy closure, but I was kind of curious what you made of that um, Jim plot. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good idea. And I hadn't, I feel like I haven't been able to work out how do you put these things together? I think your point about it ending on Jim's feeling and the sort of happy moment because Pam fell asleep on his shoulder yeah you're like on the one hand it can it can kind of alleviate the discomfort and the pain of other parts of the episode and it follows that rather than following Kelly it also might say something about the way that Jim gets to relate to all of this and the way that the I think I think you're right in the point where the diversity day becomes like the distraction from the business, like all of these things that Michael does. And for Jim, he can just he can kind of, he's he sort of lets everything roll off of him in some ways in general. But with this in particular, this can be just sort of Michael's antics, and it can wrap up feeling good for him. Because he's white and a dude and he can yeah. kind of just, oh, I see what you're saying. I think because he's white. And I think not because he's a dude, because I'll say, I think that, uh, I think I'll say as a white woman, I think that we sometimes like to talk about white dudes in a way that also gets us out of it. We're like, well, you know, do you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think because he's white. Yeah. That's so interesting because yeah, I do feel like yeah, I mean, to say it's not a bad day, I suppose is not, I mean, this is the counter argument, is not to say that it was a good day. Yeah. You, you made the argument last time, like the show is all about small moments, you know, both microaggressions, but micro affections. Yeah, and, Ooh, uh, I like that. Patent pending. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and so that is the pleasure to me of the Jim and Pam romance as far as I remember it from the episodes I've seen before you know is the kind of unsaid looks you know so um and it's not like yeah I don't know I don't know how if it is compensatory it's not like much of a compensation it's just a small because the the whole Jim and Pam thing only feels compensatory to an extent like they're still in this grueling soul-crushing job (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to ask you, I mean, is this, I don't, I don't want to make this argument, but I did think, is there a way in which Michael Scott's desires sometimes, like, we kind of talked about it, it's like he ends up being profitable for the company, so that justifies yeah. all of his antics, mm-hmm. but like, there is this way in which he doesn't actually seem to care very much about the bottom line. <laughs> 
you know, and I, sometimes I think, oh, that's less, that's better because he has these utopian kind of desires will be a family, you know? And then on the other hand, I'm like, oh no, that's just as oppressive because it's forcing you yeah. into this um, relationship that you can't say no to. Um, mm. And I kept thinking about that. How does that get complicated by race? Yeah. Um, so maybe we could talk about the the Mindy the Kelly moment here. Um, just did you have thoughts on that that slap? That whole that scene is just you know yeah. upsetting. It is upsetting. I feel like that's one of those important moments of what's that sound? You know, like the record screech sound where yeah. like, it stops and kind of becomes silent and becomes heavy. I think that that's an important moment for, for doing that. Yeah. And Michael clearly gets thrown by that. I think that he's caught off guard in a way before with the interactions with Oscar, like when Oscar pushed back on at him, he was able to sort of manage himself out of that. Like at one point he, he goes back to the, honesty, empathy, <laughs> you know, he like yeah. redirects, redirects um, Oscar to the rules of how to have the discussion about this and kind of gets his way out. But this feels like a time when he becomes speechless and sort of looks like he's going to cry. I mean, I guess not speechless. Yeah. He says, you know, he tries to frame it as a, as a triumph that now she knows what it's like to be a minority, I think yes. is, is the quote. But yeah. then he he turns away from the camera too. So it feels like, I think the heaviest moment. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know anything about the writing or production, but my get my hunch was like, I bet she wrote this moment. And if so, or at least had a hand in it, you know, and um, how interesting, you know, to, to put, to invoke this, um, I mean, it's essentially like a poo from the Simpsons. And maybe this is the presence of the Homer Simpson, <gasps> you know? And, you know, only very recently in the past couple of years has there, you know, there's that documentary about a poo and the guy mm -hmm. who plays a poo, Hank Azaria. I think he, I had read something about him being a candidate for this show and possibly even Michael Scott. Um, but oh. anyway, you know, there's this, you know, I don't know. I just think of that as like a very, iconic version of the South Asian um, accent stereotype, you know, I'm in a convenience store, this whole thing. Yeah. And um, so it's really, it was just really interesting to me that that he performs that and then she slaps it, um, slaps him. Yeah. And, um, and there was real pain there. And yeah, that line about now she knows what it's like to be a minority, to me was such an indictment also of the entire like diverse, diversity education um, industrial complex, like is, you know, always seems to sort of forget that like who is tasked with doing this educating labor. Mm -hmm. And then also like, it, this is for like white people, like it should be, right? Or it should be for people who are, you know, um, not uh, subject to constant daily, you know, exploitation, oppression, humiliation, mm -hmm. and so forth, you know, and, um, but of course, Stanley has to sit through this, right? 
Kelly has to sit through this. Um, Mr. Brown has to sit through that. Like, so, um, so I just kept thinking of that line as a nice calling out to like the, how awful it must be for them to have to sit through this and be told about something that they, they, they've known all along. Yeah. That's a, I think that's so, that's so right. And we don't have, I don't think we have the direct interviews with any of those characters with Stanley or with Oscar or with Kelly, but how these other moments do um, point to that. And that idea of Michael, he's almost trying out these different versions in some ways of how you talk about race and how you have the diversity experience. And so there's first, yeah, his his colorblind version. There's the celebrate diversity. There's this um, perform the stereotypes until things. What is it that he? What is it he wants it to do? To stir the melting pot. Yeah, and he wants him to cry. He's like, you'll be he in tears. Cry. And then in his video, he um, his his diversity diversity tomorrow video. He quotes. And Abraham, he quotes Abraham Lincoln with a quote that I don't know if he made this up or where this comes from. <laughs> he says, as Abraham Lincoln once said, if you are a racist, I will attack you with the North. <laughs> and those are the principles that I take into the workplace today. What do you think about this approach? If you are a racist, I will attack you with the North. <laughs> No, I found that. Um, well, the one thing I thought throughout this episode was like, oh my God, Megan was really right to push us last episode to think about Michael Scott's heroes. Um, <laughs> because doesn't he mention Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King in the previous episode? He mentions Abraham Lincoln in the previous one. And then in this one, he again, because you're right, in the last yeah. episode, we talked about his heroes. And in this one, he says, about the, he's got the Martin Luther King sign on his head and he says, why? Uh, because Martin Luther King is a, is a hero of mine. Yes, yeah. And then his source for that though, is that there's, he points to the Chris Rock routine about streets called Martin Luther King Drive. Um, but anyway. Which he then does not do. I yes. was like, okay, he, is he learning? Like it keeps teasing us with the possibility of this man <laughs> learning. Although I did feel like by the end of the episode, they were like, no, 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 he didn't learn anything because of the whole colored greens and I wish I'd brought food, you know, then it would have been better. Anyway, I kept keep going though about Abraham Lincoln because I I was m- mystified by that. I thought that was hilarious. I mean, I don't know. I didn't have a great reading of it. <laughs> that line for some reason just always makes me laugh. I don't know. I don't know quite what it is about it. <laughs> it's like, in this so we have like a a a racist racist incident at work today and the kind of going back to the civil war there's something interesting for him in that framework going back to the civil war to abraham lincoln again as like his anti-racist hero yeah i will attack you with the north also the idea that he then kind of becomes like a general in the army of the <laughs> against racism or something. Yeah. The whole, like just the, the, the thing of the North and the South. And um, 
I was I was thinking about it. I was like, I don't think racist even was a, a term that was kind of used that way then. And so I looked up and I found some interesting, interesting things too about the history of the term mm. and wasn't even used until the early 20th century. Did a little bit of Oxford English Dictionary okay. research and, and found, found a couple of interesting articles about its history by um, Jean Demby and by a uh, linguist, John McWhorter, that's about the, the kind of evolution and use of the term. So it's also just historically, like not even a kind of logical reference, not that, right, to be clear, not that racism didn't exist and wasn't talked about, but just the kind of, uh, you know, taking Michael's language and his feelings and his wanting to start this war against racism in his current office place and then putting it onto the history. So I, I feel like I, I don't know quite how to tie it up, but I just, something about that line just gets me every time. Well, I definitely thought about, you know, just the, uh, uh, we could go on, we got to go on and on sometime about this whole, I don't know, invocation of Abraham Lincoln as the image yeah. of, of anti-racism is, mm -hmm. is problematic, as you pointed out last time. But <clears throat> the other thing uh, that it makes me think of is his line when, I can't remember, is it Pam and, um, wait, is Pam the one that's wearing the Jewish uh, yeah. card and Stanley is, does his just say black or does it say African-American? It says black. Yeah. And um, uh, what's his face? Michael comes up and is like, oh, this is great. You know, slavery versus the Holocaust, uh -huh. the Olympics of oppression. And it just made me think again about um, how, you know, white people and, and uh, you know, um, white discourses of race, you know, often like can't think of race outside of trauma or mm -hmm. violation or violence. Like there's, as if there would be nothing else Mm -hmm. to um, say about these identities or cultures or experiences or histories besides, mm -hmm. you know, the ways in which um, they have suffered, I thought was really, you know, like a, an apt satire of what often happens um, or, you know, the ways in which these things are often framed. But then, of course, also that it must be a competitive framing um, between them. Yeah. I don't know was very interesting to me. So, but, you know, the specter of slavery mm -hmm. invoked, you know, again and again and again was really quite interesting. Yeah. Tyler, I've got some bad news. No. Over our hour and it is time for us to turn to the Dundies. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what do you think? How do you feel? Uh, I'm trying to think, I'm quickly looking, do I have any other, th I mean, there's just, like you said, there's so much to say. I think that we're gonna be living with this episode for a while. I think um, we can, and maybe we'll be able to refer back in future episodes. Oh, there is one thing I wanted to say was um, two, thi two things really quick. Kelly isn't wearing a card when, sh when she comes in and he does that whole performance. I just thought that was really yeah. brilliant. I mean, obviously, narratively, it's because she's left to meet with a client or whatever and then comes back in. So I guess, you know, just in terms of the narrative, she doesn't know the context for what he's saying, but yeah. we, we know it doesn't matter because it's oh. offensive anyway. But I just thought that was really smart writing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then the other thing is the line that he says, uh, 
I knew all this stuff already. I'll sign something that says I taught like something. (laughs) Just me. I love that as a, definitely as this, like not only will he not learn anything, like he's refusing actively to be in the position of a student, um, which, you know, I don't know, we've probably encountered some students like that before. Our teaching evaluations. Yeah. Like, I learned anything in this class. I could say I taught something. <laughs> oh, and the other question I have, we're not going to talk about it now. I'm going to flag it. We'll come back to it. But my big question for you and perhaps the audience, why does Michael hate Toby so much? Mm. I really am excited to find that out. I don't get it. I'm curious. So anyway, um, okay, Dundies, do you want to start? Um, yes, I would be happy to start. So I struggled with this a little bit this time because I had two Dundies I want to give out, okay. but I made the rules. So I'm going to give two Dundies today. Um, the first Dundee I want to give to Stanley's eyebrows and I want to give him the good communication award because Stanley doesn't say a whole lot in these interactions. We don't have any of the interviews with Stanley in this episode, but if you follow his eyebrows, they are doing a lot of work through this episode. So that's one award. I also wanna give the good use of math award to Oscar for the 215th question. I love that, I love that. (laughs) I had thought about giving Oscar a Dundee. because of his whole, uh, you know, like, well, what are the associations, Michael? I'm just yeah, the line yeah. reading that. Um, but I feel, com- I'm gonna give out two Dundies as well. Um, my first Dundee uh, is gonna be perhaps not surprising, but it's gonna be to Kelly um, for that amazing slap. Uh, watching it a few times, I just was like, wow, like what an incredible, I just thought the acting in that scene. Yeah was really powerful and yes it's partly you know um Steve Carell's acting but I really thought Mindy Kaling you could see I could see like wow she is mm-hmm. powerful as a writer and an actress and I just I just really it, that was a really powerful moment mm-hmm. the other Dundee I want to give is to Mr. Deckard who is uh you know I feel like needs a reward although we already got one um but I felt like he uh good for him for getting a discount on his um, yearly order of paper, you know, Um, because the customer service must've been very frustrating for him. He couldn't get in touch with Jim and then he gets Dwight and Dwight gives him a discount. So I thought he deserved an award for that, um, that clever negotiation. What a fabulous mix of Dundies (laughs) today. Um, What do we have to say? What is the next episode we'll be talking about? Our next episode will be season one, episode three, healthcare. Oh, all right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. As always, thank you everybody uh, for listening uh, to this and bearing with us. We tried to keep it to an hour and we got closer. We got closer. We got closer. We'll keep working on it. Um, Um, Quick reminder to follow us on social media. On Instagram, it's office underscore hours underscore podcast. And on Twitter, it's office underscore HRS underscore pod. Thank you also to Jen Lightfoot for our music and our logo. Yes. And we will see you all next time. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.